Hello, welcome everybody. This is a podcast from the Center for Ethics, a Study and Human Value from the University of Pardubice in the Czech Republic. And uh, my name is Patrick Keenan. I'm a PhD student here, and I'm here with my colleagues Mira Reyes and Vladimir Lukic. And then today we have uh, Professor Rostislav Denich. So welcome. Thank you, Patrick. So we're kind of just hoping that you'll just steal the show and do. You know, <laughs> but I'll just say, really, I really loved this this essay. It's called "Friend is Enemy: Notes on Cavell and Socialism," and then via Makaviev. Is that pronounced right? Makaviev. 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 Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I really, really loved it, and I mean, I don't have a lot of background in in this in Cavell. Mm. But, okay. I, but I love the spectrum. You went through Emerson and Nietzsche um, and, you know, Cavell and his contemporaries and the commentary between you know, Makaviev's films. So, yeah, I, I think it'd be really cool if you wanted to give an introduction or, or sum up maybe the paper. Yeah, sure. That's fine. I mean, uh, I guess I'll give a, a bit of a personal introduction um, because... Cavell's philosophy is, is actually quite personal, and he often introduces himself as a, as a, as a and his own responses uh, to uh, to the texts he reads and uh, he comments on. So I will give myself that freedom to to kind of in, uh, to lead to lead into this this story with a bit of a, a personal introduction, and uh, it begins it begins at the moment when I was a, a PhD student, uh, just like you are now. Uh, also in Central Europe, but not in Pardubice in Budapest, and uh, I was working a lot on on, uh, on on democratic theory and on uh, on roles and on Dworkin and on many uh, on many uh, prominent political philosophers of of liberal persuasion, and uh, at the time and. Uh, uh, I couldn't understand at the time what what was happening to me, but I was, uh, in a way, I was unhappy with what I was doing, right? Because there was something I, I couldn't, I just couldn't express. There was something I wanted to say and something I wanted, some problems I wanted to deal with, and this philosophy just just couldn't couldn't hit hit upon these problems, right? I just couldn't uh, express them in terms of this philosophy, and uh, 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 recently I found. Uh, I recognize a very similar sentiment in Katrina Forrester's book, uh, Shadow of Justice, in the Shadow of Justice. That is her book on, on Rawls, right? And uh, on Rawls's theory of justice. And uh, uh, she says how Rawls's theory of justice through this shadow, this huge shadow over political theory and primarily over political theory, uh, uh, like overshadowing uh, so many different perspectives on political issues like feminist perspective, post-colonial perspectives, and so on, and uh, uh, kind of forcing all its uh, uh, interlocutors, even its critics, uh, to start speaking its own jargon, to start speaking in, in, in its own terms, in its own grammar, right? And uh, the problem was, of course, that many problems, when you try to express them in this uh, Rawlsian framework, just lost lost what was most important to them and what was most important, more more specific about them. Some positions uh, were actually uh, the specificity, the idiosyncrasy of these positions uh, simply couldn't uh, couldn't be translated into this into this new jargon, right? And uh, uh, 
it actually helped me to uh, recognize uh, this despair and uh, this, uh, uh, this problem of inexpressiveness. What helped me go out of it was actually finding, finding Cavell and discovering Cavell. And uh, uh, first, uh, Cavell's uh, criticism, if it, if it can be called uh, that, it is very gentle, uh, Cavell's commentary on, on Rawls, and then Cavell's writing on, uh, on remarriage comedies and uh, uh, different genres of, of Hollywood film. And this is uh, what uh, um, allowed me to, uh, this actually opened up the whole, whole new perspectives for me of uh, 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 thinking about politics and of thinking about some problems that I, I was feeling before, but I just couldn't express them. I couldn't articulate them in the language that uh, I was given. And uh, what was especially important for me was this encounter with uh, Cavell's writing on Makaveev. And it was especially important for me because it helped me articulate uh, what I felt uh, uh, and um, how I felt uh, in a uh, living in a, in a uh, in not just in a post-communist society and post-socialist society, but also uh, in a uh, in a country which which was uh, which came into being by uh, uh, by the breakup of the previous country, right? That is Yugoslavia. So uh, it is uh, somehow this experience couldn't be put to words from the dominant liberal framework. I mean, it could be right. Socialism was was a mistake. Real socialism was a mistake. End of story, right? Now you're starting from from scratch and now you're building societies from scratch mm -hmm. maybe even maybe even something worse from scratch than scratch right maybe you were even on a very wrong path and now you have to go back and start from the beginning right like a like a bad schoolboy right like a like a schoolboy who missed many classes i mean this is i'm not the first to use this metaphor it is it it has been used in transitology many times right so this is the post socialist transition and uh, uh, this is a very frustrating a very frustrating uh, a position to be in and a very frustrating uh, uh, situation and uh, uh, it is somehow it is offensive in a way and it also ignores uh, a hu this huge experience that people living in socialist societies actually had and it is, this is a, a, a experience. these experiences are of course uh, um, uh, uh, ranging from horrible to to uh, uh, to uh, uh, very nice and also very fruitful, and this is something that couldn't couldn't be seen from the from a dominant liberal paradigm, right? There is something that uh, people who lived in socialist societies had to say about about modernity, about modern politics, about the experience of living in complex societies, uh, since socialism actually tried to find different answers to these questions, and uh, and. Uh, uh, and transitology uh, uh, was trying to reduce all these complex experiences into one experience, and that is suffering under the totalitarian regime, right? And now we're putting that aside, and you have to start from scratch. So uh, actually, now you have several new books written, written exactly on this, uh, these topics. Uh, uh, one of them is, for instance, if I'm not mistaken, written by... Uh, uh, it was just published like a year or two ago 
by uh, Stephen Holmes and even Krastev about uh, about how about how the West treated post-socialist societies as as children, right? Basically, as children, paternalistically, and uh, it was uh, such a it was such a discovery for me to find this article, Cavell's uh, 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 article, and Cavell's uh, engagement with Makaveev, who was this really famous uh, Yugoslav director who died on the same year when, mm -hmm. when Cavell died. They actually met in Harvard when Makaveev was visiting. And uh, uh, this is uh, uh, this article on Makaveev on Bergman uh, came out of it, and it actually it actually served as a basis for this uh, uh, enormous output of, of writing in film theory mostly on on Makaveev. So let's start from that, if that's not too much. <laughs> right. Yeah, Mira, did you want to okay. say? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. Professor, I have a uh, little exposure to roles, okay, but I do know at least the, the, the discursive philosophy arguing from the original position. And then I'm confused there because how can it be that Cavell criticizes Rawlsian liberalism when supposedly Rawls is, is, I mean, he forms a certain discursive philosophy that is from a social contract. And so you, uh, the parties, of course, agree in building up that contract. And it's not as, as if it's a one-shot deal. You can, you can uh, modify contracts later on upon experimental basis. So can you shed light on that? Yes, yes, that's a great question. And that's, that's actually exactly, that's exactly the point that Cavell uh, focuses, focuses the most on in his, in his uh, writing on roles. And he says, yeah, you can, you know, you can modify consent. But uh, that's that's not really modification. Mm -hmm. What we really consent to is the real scenes of our lives, as he says. Mm -hmm. It is not the ideal principles that uh, mm -hmm. Rose comes up comes up uh, with in the original position, but the very non-ideal circumstances that we actually live in, and uh, mm -hmm. how we are prepared to deal, and how we are. Uh, uh, the question that Cavell is uh, interested in is how we are taking, prepared to take responsibility for this gap between ideal justice and uh, mm -hmm. and uh, 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 and uh, the the real circumstances we're living in. There is a great formulation he says uh, 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 that uh, Cavell puts, uh, and that is that uh, we'll all live our lives in this gray area between. Uh, the situation of perfect justice, perfect compliance to the mm -hmm. principles of justice, on one hand, are on one side, and on the other side, civil disobedience, right? So there mm -hmm. is a point where we can say, okay, this this society is not just anymore, or there is a law or a principle which is being uh, which is being uh, enacted, which is obviously unjust, and then we are turning to civil disobedience, like. Martin Luther King did, uh, and many other many other people in American and Western history did. But between that and uh, the, the situation of perfect compliance with uh, uh, with uh, princi ideal principles of justice, we have this gray area wh where we just have to we just have to live with all these with all these failings of our societies. Uh, with all these uh, all this mm -hmm. ugliness of our society, right? And the the way and what uh, Cavell is fascinated with is how 
to bear this ugliness, how to face it honestly without, as uh, Cora Diamond would say, without deflection, right? Without uh, uh, turning away our, our uh, gaze, our view from it. Uh, and at the same time, uh, uh, to, to have the strength and to find a modicum to live with it and to carry through and to say, this is, we still believe that this society can be better, right? E even in the face of all this, I guess. And, and is that something that, that Cavell pulled from Emerson, the idea of like the kind of the conversion that you mentioned? Yes. Yes, actually, a lot of a lot of this is inspired by Emerson, right? Cavell's conception is famously called Emersonian perfectionism. He himself calls it uh, uh, this way. And uh, when he writes on Emerson, he actually uh, writes a lot about how Emerson uh, uh, how Emerson came to to, about Emerson's struggle with the fact of slavery, right? With the fact that this country, which he at the same time uh, uh, loved and believed in, the America, right? This new world, which he believed in, uh, was also at the same time uh, condoning slavery. And uh, a lot of writing of, uh, of uh, American transcendentalists, not just, uh, not just Emerson, but also Thoreau, uh, from this period actually deals with this problem, with their struggle, right? Um, uh, Thoreau's on civil disobedience, obviously, uh, right? Uh, with this struggle of facing up to this ugliness of your society and, uh, and, not, and not giving up on it, not giving up on, on this society, right? Being prepared to live in it even uh, and uh, to kind of, and to work on, on, changing, on changing it or reforming it. But Professor, isn't it the nature of government to be really abstract? I mean, it can only do as much, but to pay attention to details. That is why we have uh, social outreach institutions that sort of merge the gap there. What, what else can we expect from, from an, a, of a government? It's, it's, you know, it's an abstract you know, setup. Yes, you can always say that, but then the question is, you know, how much, how much is too much? When is the point when we, when we actually have a right, not only a right, but perhaps a duty to rebel and to say this is too much, right? And uh, uh, it seems reading Rawls, for instance, reading Rawls on civil disobedience, it seems that there is a clear rule, rule-based. Uh, cutoff point, a re, uh, you know, a, a clear, like a clear, clear line when a certain uh, when a certain society crosses from uh, tolerably just, right, and uh, mm -hmm. into into unjust, into mm -hmm. intolerably uh, intolerably unjust, and uh, and Cavell's point is, of course, there is there is no such clear line, right? It is very mm -hmm. difficult to find this clear line, and it is up to every each and every one of us to actually face the society's ugliness. In a very truthful and and um, uh, and honest manner, and to see if we can bear it, right? At the moment, at the moment when we can cannot bear it anymore, then then uh, turn to other to other means of political struggle, right? And if we can bear it, then show others kind of by and uh, uh, not even so much in argument, but uh, for for Cavell, what is important. Uh, by, uh, okay, by example, right? By giving example, how, uh, wh why do you believe that this society is still livable? That it is still livable, is still improvable, and st still uh, worth uh, fighting for? 
when we are speaking of consent, are you talking about consent to the form of government or consent to specific acts of heinous crimes by government? That's exactly that's exactly the question, right? For roles, it is not just the form of government. It is it is uh, uh, um, it is um, consent to certain principles, mm -hmm. uh, right? Principles of justice, uh, and uh, if the if the government is more or less uh, conducting its everyday business in accordance with this, and if a society is more or less in accord with these principles mm -hmm. of justice, then society is just. All right. And uh, uh, what Cavell wants to t uh, wants to tell us, yes, of course, but not no societies in ideal accord with this yeah. with these principles, right? And how do we deal with all these failings, all these uh, uh, failure to comply to to ideal principles of justice? This is where most of us, Cavell says, citizens of liberal democracies, actually spend our lives in this gray area, right? Mm -hmm. Between ideal justice and, and civil disobedience. And the question is, how do we, how do we bear it, right? So, mm -hmm. so uh, what was interesting for me in Cavell's engagement with Makaveev, uh, returning to the article, is that actually Cavell sees Makaveev as doing the same, right? And this was quite revolutionary at the moment. It is in the middle, right? It's, it's in the midst of, of, of the Cold War. It's the end of the 60s, right? The beginning of the 70s when, when he's writing on Makaveev. And uh, he's treating Makaveev completely out of this, uh, out of this typical way that Americans treat uh, socialist artists, which is uh, through this kind of totalitarian paradigm. Totalitarian, totalitarian paradigm is just uh, when you read uh, uh, artists from the East, right, and you you read each and every one of them as Solzhenitsyn, right, as uh, this brave individual who is fighting uh, an unjust system. Uh, however, uh, the truth is that uh, artists, as citizens do in socialist societies, had a variety of different uh, uh, stands and different feelings and different attitudes towards uh, the regimes they uh, the regimes they lived in. And uh, for instance, Makaveev was also at the same time a, a kind of a dissident. Uh, his movies were, for, some of his movies were forbidden and so on. But mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, he was also, a, as Cavell notes, a Yugoslav pat patriot, uh, self-avowed communist and so on and so on. And uh, the interesting thing is that Cavell actually reads uh, Makaveev as a kind of Emerson, as a kind of Yugoslavian Emerson, yeah, right? As a person who is trying to face up to some of the horrors uh, 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 which stemmed from communist regimes and from communist revolutions, such as the crimes in the Katyn forest, right? And to look them straightforwardly and honestly and without any kind of, without any kind of a cover up or rationalization and justification. And at the same time to, uh, to repeat or to, to affirm his consent his consent to his society, society to, to Yugoslav, to socialist Yugoslavia at the time. All right. I'm sorry, this was, Thank this you. was, a, bit, this was a bit too much, right? This was <laughs> no, no, more no, than no. you asked for. It's very enlightening, sorry. Okay. I, I, Vladimir, you want to say? Uh, I, I mean, at the end of the day, it's something we talked about a couple of days ago, about the different approaches that different philosophers take. For example, when Rawls writes about um, principles of justice, he does indeed write them in the light of what Mira said earlier in that abstract area. Mm -hmm. And for example, when Cavell, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't really know that much about Cavell, but like when I, I feel like Cavell's main argument 
against that, or one of the arguments is that Rawls doesn't really have um, that much. Uh, he doesn't look at the field data that is being collected, and like he, I feel like um, Cabell's point is that Rawls's abstract principles serve no purpose because. One thing is to be abstract, another thing is to look at how things actually are and what things actually, what things are actually about. And I, I feel like the, those different approaches are something that set them apart. And I, I feel like when criticizing one approach, one has to take the same stance. I don't know. For example, if you're criticizing some abstract principles, you have to criticize them by using an abstract theory. Uh, or I don't know. It seems to me like. Um, there is a methodological conundrum there. No, no, I, I get it. You you have to compare like with like, right? And uh, not not to compare abstract principles to to uh, to to messy reality, right? So yeah, uh, yeah, no, exactly. Of course, I would never say, and Cavell definitely doesn't say that uh, uh, that Rawls misses some some field data, right? Some empirical work, or that he's unaware of of different facts about his country. Uh, that's not the point. The point is something else. The point is that it seems, and Cavell is very gentle in his criticism of Rawls. He's he's actually very um, he he's very sympathetic to Rawls's approach, and he doesn't hide it. And he gives a lot of compliments to it. So on. in a way, he sees his comments as as uh, as complementary to to Rawls. Complementary mm -hmm. to Ross's theory, not not uh, some kind of devastating criticism mm -hmm. or anything like that. But what he what he wants to say on the uh, I mean, one of the authors that uh, Cavell is obviously uh, deeply indebted to. One of them is Emerson, as we noticed, and as we noted, and uh, and the other is uh, and the other is obviously Wittgenstein. And uh, so he has this point, kind of very Wittgensteinian point about what rules cannot do. Not not everything can be done by rules and principles. You can, for instance, you cannot apportion your consent to your or modify, as Mira said, uh, uh, your consent uh, uh, according to certain rules. There are no rules which will help you uh, resolve this conundrum of everyday life in the face of society's arguments, right? There is simply something, this is something you have to assess for yourself, whether your uh, society is still livable, still worth fighting for. There is no clear rule, and it uh, does come off many times uh, when you read Rawls that there is such a clear rule. When you read Rawls, on, on, uh, for instance, on, uh, on uh, simple disobedience, and also when you read Rawls on uh, resentment and envy, Right on, on kind of justified justified resentment, right? As opposed to envy, and he says, you know, you, your resentment uh, uh, is justified, and you have a complaint against a justified complaint against your society. If you can pinpoint uh, a, comp a, a specific institution or a specific a specific uh, measure, a specific policy, which is unjust to you, which has uh, which is. Uh, done you an injustice, right? And if you cannot do that, then what, what you're uh, feeling actually is envy. So not a justified, not a justified, uh, uh, not justified resentment, but just a feeling, you know, I, I would like more of, more of what you have, right? And uh, Cavell's point is, of course, there are so many injustices that you cannot pinpoint uh, uh, the source of and still 
strongly feel that they are unjust. And there are no rules mm -hmm. which will decide this issue for decide you. Decide this issue. Yes. So if uh, uh, he gives a great example in one of his articles about two friends, right? And uh, th they seem to be similarly endowed and they seem to have similar uh, uh, talents and uh, similar interests, but one of them uh, has made this great success out of his life, right? And the other hasn't. And uh, 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 why was that so? And we could say, uh, when the first friend, if a friend, first friend has a complaint, the other could say, but I haven't done anything against the law. I haven't done anything unjust to come where I'm right now, right? Somewhere above you, right? On this social or economic ladder. And, uh, but uh, in Cavell's view, this would be a kind of missing the point. You're missing the point. Maybe there, there is a kind of confluence of different uh, uh, factors which helped you uh, uh, succeed where they actually, and at the same time, they stopped your friend from succeeding. Maybe it is the color of your skin. Maybe it is some specific difference in your privilege. Maybe it is some specific confluence of, of favorable or unfavorable uh, 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 circumstances. However, uh, the fact that uh, 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 that he cannot pinpoint any uh, institutional cause for for uh, the inequality between the two of you does not mean that your society is perfectly just or that uh, there might not be something unjust in the fact of your of your inequality and you have to bear the fact that uh, in our societies Cavell is talking about America or, or like 30 years ago, now it's much worse, that there are such huge inequalities, right? Uh, and uh, uh, that you cannot just wave them away by pointing to ideal principles, right? Inequalities of different kinds, right? Injustices of different kinds. You cannot just wave, wave, wave them away and say, you know, ideally, this is how the system works. So this is the just system, right? Live with it. That's a very cynical way of, uh, of answering this question. And not only is it cynical, it is, uh, and th this is most important for Cavell, it is something which uh, uh, endangers the, the, uh, the functioning of the society. The society becomes uh, fractured or broken if we start, if we start uh, conversing with each other in this, in this way. Right. Um, I'll ask the next question. <laughs> Professor, um, I know this is not the ending position of the paper, okay? But I think it is still a general opinion or the opinion of many that at least the edge of liberal societies is that no matter how, how unjust things can be, as it would could be in a socialist uh, setup, at least the, the, the spaces of freedom are more installed. What I mean is you have more leeway for expression for revoltedness rather than in a communist society, such as what's happening in China now, when they are you know, suppressing their freedom would you, fighters. Would, <laughs> okay. you call, would, would you call China, uh, China, contemporary China, a socialist society? I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, yes, sure. yes. Yeah, okay. a communist oh, society, uh, I'm not uh, sure uh, I, would, I would call it a communist society. It's definitely authoritarian, right? Uh, but, yes. uh, I'm not sure it's, it's, uh, it's authori authoritarianism has much uh, much to do with communism in a way it's very capitalist mm -hmm. right it's a very mm -hmm. new form of capital 
capitalist authoritarianism yes. in a way in a way compatible even with the free market but not with uh, the political freedoms you mentioned uh, well i have to mention another thing uh, about that in many ways this is uh, this is the interesting part of uh, of this uh, of Cavell's engagement with Makavev. Uh, first, Makavev comes from Yugoslavia, and Yugoslavia was uh, at the time never actually a part of the uh, Warsaw Pact or a part of the Eastern Bloc. It was a socialist country, but it was never uh, it was never under Soviet Soviet rule. It was uh, it was uh, uh, sovereign. It was not a part of any bloc, except the bloc of unaligned, unaligned countries, and uh, and uh, it had a very specific sort of socialism, which through the time became not only more liberal in the classic sense, right? Mm -hmm. It definitely became more free. It was it had more and more uh, mm -hmm. uh, space for for free expression and even for criticism, right? Mm -hmm. But also. It uh, it uh, developed its own form of participatory democracy, which was called self-management, right? Samoupravljanje in in Serbo-Croatian, and uh, so uh, Yugoslavia was also uh, a, a country which offered uh, which which offered its own experiments with uh, with self-expression, with self-government, and with participatory democracy. So it's very difficult to say, right? I, I understand your point, and this is the typical liberal point, right? You know, whatever you can say, love it or hate it, liberalism offers some great freedoms. Well, yes and no, right? It, uh, in many ways, uh, yes, it does offer them, and I think these freedoms are worth fighting for and defending, but we also have to bear in mind the imperfect way that they're enacted in, in specific liberal societies on the one hand and also and also on the other hand even when we deal now with historical real socialism we shouldn't we should stop viewing it as this kind of homogeneous you know in this kind of typical the, the totalitarian typical totalitarian picture is the one that Hannah Arendt uh, uh, offers in origins of totalitarianism right you have the state and you have atomized atomized uh, citizens and nothing in between, no society, right? No civil society, nothing. And uh, uh, it wasn't true even for for uh, uh, so Soviet Union, right? For uh, uh, a post-Stalinist Soviet Union and for many other uh, socialist countries in the Eastern Bloc, but it definitely wasn't true for Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia was actually, it had its own experiments in pluralism, in freedom of thought. And so it wasn't a parliamentary democracy no doubt but it was far it was far from a it was far from a closed society it was far from a totalitarian regime and so on and so on and it actually uh, the point is that Kavel uh, sees Makavev as a person and he recognizes that you could be a Yugoslav socialist patriot and uh, and not kind of not be a hypocrite not be a not be a, a, a puppet or a regime puppet. On the contrary, right? You could you could actually be very honest about both about your your loyalty to your country and about uh, and about its ugly all its ugliness, right? My, my one of something that broke me during 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 uh, Rastislav's talk is that I also feel like the scope of uh, the problematization problematics is different. Like I feel like Rawls's theory uh, is situated 
within one uh, within one structure of institu on the institutional level. For example, when he talks about um, when he talks about his political theory, he talks about the question on on institutional morality. He talks about well, I'm not going to talk about anything else that isn't uh, isn't connected to the institution. And this has a lot of explanatory power. For example, when we talk about Black Lives Matter protests, we can pinpoint to the institution which is unjust. We can pinpoint to the civil disobedience uh, section, which is which is uh, a reactionary force. We can we can, for example, BLM protests were filled with resentment towards the law in, uh, law enforcement institution. And with within Ross's Ross theory, we can have we can we can get from it like a lot of explanatory power on why this is happening, what is the problem, and so on and so on. But I feel like uh, while uh, you were talking, there, there was some uh, Cavell's uh, implicit criticism is that not everything that is political is institutional. And I feel like that is something which, is, which sparks, uh, which sparks uh, a discussion here. Like, there is something which isn't institutional-based and which sparks a political political question, which sparks uh, a political question. Yeah, and I feel like this is something that is that is that is really important to note. I don't know. I feel like that is that is one of the points of disagreement between Rawls and Campbell, based on what you said. Yes, I guess there is. I guess the best way of putting it is to say that there is a residue after we've said everything we, we have to say about institution, there is still some residue, both moral and political, right? There, that we feel the need to express and to acknowledge, right? We, we feel the need to, to uh, express that we are still, uh, uh, still dissatisfied or that we are still, uh, we still believe that there is, there is something unjust in the, in the way the institutions fun function, even though perhaps we cannot pinpoint the, the specific institution. You mentioned Black Lives Matter. I mean, it's, it's a complex discussion, right? And uh, the problem is, the problem is obviously so many uh, young black, uh, 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 pre uh, mostly men, but young black, young black people, right, are, uh, not, are being gunned down for no specific reason or for uh, not enough reason because the police is acting this or that way, right? And is very trigger happy and is more prepared to shoot than it should be and so on. And then one criticism could be, of course, that this itself is the, is the proof that, that there is a problem with racism in America, and especially in the institution of the police force, right? But then the answer could be, right? The conservative answer, many, many people have given this answer. Yeah, but you cannot pinpoint exactly why uh, these cases are problematic. I mean, obviously they are problematic, but there are justifications for many of these shootings, right? This is just how poli police does its thing, right? So perhaps the problem, and perhaps the problem is not just the police. Perhaps the problem is more pervasive systematic racism, right? And this is just the, sim the symptom of this phenomenon, right? Perhaps the problem is that, uh, uh, that the police actually does not feel safe when it goes into a black neighborhood. And it does not feel safe because the black neighborhood is poor and uh, it's, uh, it's filled with crime and so on and so on. And all this 
is uh, is a uh, is a consequence of a system of systematic racism but can you pinpoint which institution failed you can you mm -hmm. pin what which institution exactly did wrong yes that's the problem and at the same time you feel that something is definitely not that's right wrong. and if you answer this kind of complaint by saying but you cannot pinpoint the, the exact institution that's a kind of cynicism then you're ending the conversation and this is uh, this is the road to to you know, fragmenting fragmenting society, right? This is the road to a potential even to some kind of uh, maybe at first silent and then open civil war. Yeah. All I right. Could, I can maybe make a quick comment. Yeah, it's 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 so complex in a way. I feel like every institution or every part of the system is is plays some role in it. So it's hard for me to just isolate it down into kind of uh, the way that these neighborhoods are policed because the fact that the neighborhoods are poor is, is another institutional failure, exactly. failing and, uh, and it's, it's everywhere. I mean, and uh, conservatives will, will, I mean, the conservative argument can just waver from kind of completely ridiculous uh, in, a, in a way where they'll, they'll just talk about, you know, the influence of hip hop music or, or the role of the father or something like that. that yeah, yeah. These all play. The bell curve, the bell curve, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, it's 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 everywhere. And actually, like, um, so this could lead into maybe the question or question that I did have, at least one that I wanted to kind of formulate, which is just something along the lines of how I really liked, I just liked at the end of the paper that there's this sense of responsibility from both both sides, from the American side, the Soviet side, um, to you know, as you quote from Cavell, I think to understand what happened to the fact and the idea of liberty under Americanization and to understand what happened to the idea and the fact of community under Sovietization. And that liberty and community are these two forces that kind of have to work together. And then we don't have that truly represented, um, but each, each particular um, system of government or society in general has a responsibility to see its failings and to you know, call them out and protest. I mean, especially with the kind of type of protest that's artistically driven or through disgust, which I, which I actually found mm -hmm was just really compelling to me to, to uh, actively reject kind of like in a visceral sense, these things that you see that are wrong. And in, in America, at least from my perspective, you know, you can point to so many aspects of it. And so to say that, the, that this particular system works as a whole and to ignore like all these individual cases of exploitation and, you know, uh, just depravity in general is to, is to uh, live with that kind of hypocrisy i think that you were describing also i, I love that you mentioned this uh, sentence i think this sentence is one of the key uh, one of the key uh, uh, pieces of evidence uh, that cavell treats makabev as a uh, first as an equal and obviously as a person who actually who who affirms uh, his consent to his society, right? While at the same time being critical to it. So it, it is. It was very easy. Again, let us just remember. Uh, uh, it, it is the sixties or the seventies of, of the twentieth century, right? So it was so easy for an American liberal like Cavell to be complacent about it and to just say, obviously liberalism is better, right? Obviously, America is better than than Soviet Union or than are even Yugoslavia, right? Or even. Yugoslavian socialist society, and he doesn't say that. He says, obviously, uh, we, we are both trying to uh, bring some ideals to life, ideals of liberty, 
uh, like liberalism and community in socialism, and we're failing to do that, right? What have we done to these ideals? So in a way, this conversation between uh, Cavell and Makaveev uh, is a conversation which uh, Cavell's frame, Cavell frames it so that it uh, sheds light on, on the failings of both societies, right? And, uh, and uh, exactly as we said, on, he, uh, he stresses the need to take responsibility for your society's failings, right? So it doesn't, it was so easy at the time and so many authors starting from Isaiah Berlin and then to many others and to, to Fukuyama like 15 or 20 years later that you could say, you know, it's so, it's so obvious that liberalism is better, that liberal democracy is superior to, 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 so, to real socialism. And in many respects it was, I mean, it's, it's undoubtedly, it's not a, that's not a topic, but Machiavelli never takes this route, right? Never takes this easy way out in this text. And he says, I see what you're doing. Uh, he says this to Machiavelli, I see what you're doing. You're exposing your own society. And at the same time, you're affirming your loyalty to it. And this is how I feel to my own society. This is how I feel in relation to my own society. This is how I feel when I see students protesting the Vietnam War, right? So that's that's Cavell's point. And I think this, this need to kind of I'm repeating myself, but to kind of straight uh, look uh, the ugliness of your society straight in the eye, uh, unflinchingly, and then to affirm your loyalty to it, if you still can, is this most important, uh, is one of the most important um, uh, contributions of, of Cavell's criticism of, of uh, Rawls and also of his engagement with Makaveev. Um, this will probably be my last question. But this is my 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 uh, my leftover snag. Okay, it's something to do with religion, uh, with Ibsen's statement that the criticism of religion as a proposition, presupposition of all criticisms. Because Professor, I come from a religious society, and so is this statement criticizing the politics of religion or the religious belief itself? No, definitely not the religious belief itself, right? But this kind of political ideological function of religion, right? The function of which was, as you probably know, Marx was also of two minds about it. When he says, when he says, religion is the opium of the people, but then mm -hmm. he adds, it is, it is the heart of the heartless world, right? Mm -hmm. uh, religion, uh, people need religion because it promises, it promises justice, it promises community, it promises everything mm -hmm. they they do not have in a fragmented world of of capitalism, right? right. So, the point is. Uh, but the point is, here I'm trying to uh, answer uh, an objection uh, posed by Sezgin Boynik, uh, who was uh, who is an Albanian an Albanian film theorist, and uh, who uh, criticized uh, uh, who criticized Cavell exactly as this typical kind of typical liberal who uh, equates uh, uh, communism and fascism and the two mm -hmm. totalitarianisms and so on and so on. And also there is a point where he misunderstands the way that Cavell uses Jung and Jung's quote about religion. Uh, he misunderstands the role of this quote uh, uh, and he interprets it as uh, uh, Cavell's attempt to, uh, to kind of mend the broken world, Marx's broken world, through religion, through some kind of mysticism and so on. But that's not the point at all. That's what I'm trying to say. And I think I proved that through some textual evidence that mm -hmm. actually Cavell's point is this, 
uh, a religion, not, not as personal religion, not, not as this kind of personal belief, far from it, but as this kind of escape into fictitious, mm -hmm. into illusion, right, into illusionary mm -hmm. happiness. And in this sense, you can uh, describe many, many ideologies uh, as, as kind of proto-religious, right, a quasi-religious, quasi right? Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Mira. I, I definitely feel convinced by your by your argument. I mean, I just I find the text really kind of inspiring. But also, it brought to mind that idea, um, the myth of American exceptionalism, uh, as like a it's the title of a book, but it's sort of this kind of terminology that this sort this thinking this type of thinking um, inoculates you, if that's the right word, from um, recognizing truths of your society and uh, and. And then if you don't recognize that it's there, you don't have the, like the capacity for horror at these things, then you, you can't actually act on it to make it better. And yes. any society that, and it's undemocratic, as you say, it's undemocratic to continue down this, this line of thinking. Any, any society that isn't being critiqued kind of at this level um, isn't, isn't gonna last very long, especially not in a democratic society. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly the last point. Thank you. But uh, thank you very much. And, Vladimir, did you want to say anything else? Did you have a question or? No, no, I'm, I'm convinced. Like, <laughs> we stand in awe. <laughs> I'm really enjoying this uh, this kind of view of, of so, Serbia through your phone, Vladimir. We get to see the sunset in Serbia. Yeah. <laughs> it's very cool. Very cool. And, and are, are you both in the same city? Yes, yes, yes. We were just not in the same place, but we're in the same city. Yes. <laughs> Rasislav, did you want to say anything else about your your essay, or about even your? Uh, no, I just I just wanted to I just wanted to thank you for this really great opportunity and for this great great conversation. And I listened to the previous episodes of your podcast. I oh. think it's really wonderful. I really loved the choice of guests and and the hosts and everything. And it is a really a great honor to to be a part. I definitely think that um, that in the future uh, some of the professors at heart. Uh, university in the center would would like to talk to you one on one or you know have have that kind of conversation as well because be I feel like they're going to be jealous when they when they hear the subject matter of our of our conversation. Uh, <laughs> cool. So so you're presenting at our conference, which is called "Looking Forward in Hope and Despair: Critical Perspectives on Philosophy and the Arts" or crit "Critical Perspectives on Utopia and Dystopia and Philosophy of the Arts," and that's going to take place April 14, 15, and 16. And we're, we're going to have a Zoom link wherever this podcast is, and we'll have it on Facebook and everything. So uh, so we'll get to hear you again and uh, get to engage in, in some more talk. You'll be the keynote speaker on, on the 15th. Is that right? Uh, I, think, I think it's the 16th, but I'll have to check. Okay, okay. I think it's the 16th in the end, but yes. And then with your permission, should we or can we put the link to your article, at least just where it's located? Absolutely. Yes, yes, of course. Of course, yes. Well, okay. Well, um, Thank you very much for me personally. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You enlightened us, Professor. <laughs> Thank you, Mira. Thank you. Thanks guys. a lot. All right. Well, great questions. Off, and we will uh, we will see you in, in April for sure. Yes. Great. Thank you.